0: This thing that we all care deeply about, our planet, our environment, our society, is negatively and adversely impacted by business decisions we're making to pollute, to consume in certain ways. But we can't measure it. We couldn't internalize those costs. And if we could, we could change the world, right? So I I really think that that is the right way to think. Can you measure it? The answer is absolutely. And real assets, Absolutely. And we're the place to go for that. Well, what happens if you measure it? We all know you manage it. You manage it, we can have better
1: outcomes. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding. As a former environmental private equity investor, four times founder, climate tech CEO, coach, and professor, I launched this podcast to share the entrepreneurial journey practical tips, and hard-earned wisdom from CEOs and investors tackling climate change. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. This is the number one way that listeners can learn more about the climate CEOs and investors I interview. For this week, the review comes from Tara Bartley, the VP of Marketing at Resurity insightful, she says. Chris brings knowledgeable and insightful climate leaders to his podcast for interesting conversations and adds an element of levity to complex topics that make his podcast widely understood. Totally agree, Tara. Life is way too important to be serious all the time. Many thanks and please keep up the important work that each and every one of you is doing to tackle climate change properly. My guest today is Matt Ellis, CEO of Measurable. Measurable is the ESG platform built specifically for real estate to measure, manage, disclose, and act on ESG data. Their 200 plus employees serve clients representing 17 billion square feet of real estate and $2 trillion of value in those buildings across 93 countries. Matt is the former director of Sustainability Solutions at CBRE. That's a Fortune 500 company and global leader in commercial real estate services and investments. With around 3 billion square feet under management, his new book is From Green to ESG, How Data-Driven Transparency Changed Real Estate for Good. In this episode, we talked about why his private equity asset manager and REIT Customers use his software, how he prices his products, both software and data, his data partnership with the FTSE Index, which is moving billions of dollars into green real estate, the pains over ten years of customer price discovery, why self advocacy matters, how he balances strategic and BC investors, future consolidation which he predicts in this industry, and much more. Hope you enjoyed and please give Matt and Measurable. A shout-out on LinkedIn, Slack, or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. Matt Ellis, CEO of Measurable, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Well, you may not know this, but this conversation is a long time coming. As we joked before pressing record, my PhD many years ago was lovingly criticizing the Lead Green Building Rating uh, Program for you know being directionally correct but not perfectly correct in in measuring the environmental benefits of green certified buildings. You all have taken it thankfully the next many steps ahead to to be more accurate in that process. I wonder if we could start with this maybe clarification for some of the market, which thinks of you all as mostly software, but you have another line of business which. To me, it was intriguing to learn about, and I'm sure some listeners would like to hear it as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, our origin, Chris, as you mentioned correctly, is in software, where we help real estate organizations measure, manage, report, and ultimately act on sustainability. We had in our vision since inception the idea that the real estate community was not just real estate owners. Um, it was occupiers, it was lenders, it was insurers, it was stock exchanges that were building green uh, indices. All of these stakeholders are also part of the real estate community and we wanted to serve them as well. And so we built a data business. Um, so that is a labor of love that leverages our DNA and software and our enormous data set, our world-leading data set uh, to provide insights on sustainability these other stakeholders.
1: And you mentioned earlier this partnership using this data side of your business, this partnership with FTSE, maybe say more about what that looks like, the kind of impact you're having there.
0: Yeah, that's so recently public, maybe I think just as mid-December, 23, so roughly a month ago, it was made public that Measurable was selected amongst all global data providers to be the provider of green or sustainable metrics on real assets. And those metrics, those the, that data was then incorporated into the FTSE, Russell, Navy EPRA, Green Real Estate Index, uh, which is very cool. And so that's actually a series of indices focused on different real estate allocations um, with several billion dollars uh, in investment tracking those different products. So it's a, a great honor to work there. And it's an example, prime example of our vision around applications of sustainability data not just to owning and operating buildings but to all the other activities around them.
1: And for those listeners including myself who can't write fast enough just mention that uh, that index again that uh, uses year data
0: the FTSE Russell EPRA REIT <laughs> series of indices. Uh, so it is a bit of a mouthful but if you just start with maybe green real estate index and FTSE you'll you'll get there.
1: Perfect. All right, so listeners have heard in our intro you know over two trillion dollars of real estate value that are utilizing your all software across 17 18 billion square feet or so 93 countries, pretty big numbers but when you're talking to new customers where right, they may know of you not enough of you what's the pitch I man how do you how do you get from a a don't know you to a yes
0: sure I think we want to address that at two levels. The, the first level is the business imperative. And then secondarily, Chris, it's the features and functionality and price and quality and those types of things. Right. So just making sure we align on the first step, which is there is a massive transformation underway in the economy towards more sustainable business models, full stop. And that disproportionately impacts the built environment, real estate, because it is such a large contributor in terms of environmental impact and also social impact so right there we just want to make sure our prospective customers understand that and that we give them plenty of examples those examples are things like you are likely now regulated to some degree around at least energy and carbon disclosure you likely have investors that expect these metrics and forward progress on them and most certainly you would have customers aka occupiers other stakeholders that also have expectations so if any one or more of those three things affects you we're aligned that you need to do something about sustainability and then that gets to the second part which is are you going to do that through hook crook manual effort self uh what have you or are you going to use modern technology typically the customers or the prospective customers say we want to use technology for that the second thing we're going to ask them is are you going to choose a platform or are you could choose the world's most widely adopted and validated platform for that. And so we kind of go down that decision tree and then we explain what has led us to be in that privileged position. Well, many things. One is a huge emphasis in our business on data collection and the underlying automation to access data of many types. So utility data, project data, certification data, climate risk uh, data, policies, procedures, qualitative data, so on. So we've invested very heavily there. And we have distinguishing and proprietary tools that our competitors don't possess. Another thing we have is amazing scale, which benefits our customers because we can deliver the most accurate benchmark. Big thing, I used to be in real estate transactions before I got into this weird world of sustainability and technology. And in real estate, we're we're relative animals. We're very interested in a building relative to a comparable building same holds up for sustainability. We want to know that concept and document that. Now, if I have a data set that's bigger than anybody else and more granular, I can probably help you with that in a better fashion than somebody else. So we want to make sure they understand that. And thirdly, it's that scale also begets a view into the market. So measurable serves private equity, asset managers, private and public, publicly traded REITs and private REITs and everything in between, multifamily, single family, data center, hospitality, major league baseball stadiums. That view into the global real estate marketplace allows us to develop bigger, better, faster, and innovate with our customers on their needs. So those are some of the things I want to make sure we point out.
1: Makes sense. So we've heard about the data side, the software side. Maybe let's go one level deeper. How do you guys make money? What's that look like?
0: subscription so the on both sides of the business Chris, both in the the software business and in the data business they're both subscription models. So what that means for us is we're going to provide you a tier of service, good better best if you will, in the software business. You're going to sign up for that for a period of time typically two to three years and you are going to pay us by volume, which is based on the number of buildings in our model that you load into that tier, we charge that annually upfront. So it's actually a very traditional SaaS business model based on effectively tier, volume, and term. On the data business, uh, that is close but not exactly the same because there's two ratchets there. One is the number of metrics you consume. So measurable currently serves energy intensity, carbon intensity, regulatory exposure, climate risk, and certification status. And we could do that for any building anywhere in the world with very few exceptions. If you want to purchase one or more of those metrics, that changes your cost structure. And then the second one is back to the building model. How many assets are you running through our API service or our UI for those metrics?
1: And then again, subscribe to that model and build up front annually. And did you all ever consider any other Business model, so, You're, <laughs> maybe so, I'll pick I, pick a couple of those. And why? Oh know, my I goodness! Know, you know. Oh my goodness! You know, the, as they say, in like
0: the venture books and the startup books, price discovery, value alignment, whatever—that's an experience. In fact, I would argue that value discovery, price discovery, is a darn close second to product uh, iteration and landing the right feature function formula. So for example, one of the things we looked at is we built a very complicated model to ramp pricing by square footage and that had and it looked it looked a little bit like I guess an elongated S. In other words, if you're very very small, your costs were were very modest. And as you started to tip into that more institutional tier, that larger tier, what happened was uh your you would see more of that, call it thirty-five degree line, right? Where if you're a one hundred million square foot owner, yeah, you're starting to see some, at least for us, meaningful fees to them, negligible. But then you get in this weird spot again, where let's imagine you're a super owner, you you owned, you know, a half a billion square feet, or you're a government entity or something vast. If we kept on that line, the price would explode into. You know, tens of millions a year, basically. And so you had to taper it again. So what if you think about what happened there, you actually had to have a, I forget, one of our, our data scientists built this model because it was too complicated. And he had a name for the type of equation we had to run to get this right. Um, but that's an example of where you can't explain that to your customer. <laughs> All right? And so we had to go back. We had to spent too much time saying, well, here's why at a certain square footage, you're a certain price. But if square footage is to the left or to the right of that, it could be markedly different. We wanted to reorient on the perceived value, which for our customers is principally around the number of assets that they're getting into our software.
1: I think I've heard someone say, or maybe said often, simple is better than clever, <laughs> <laughs> which which feels appropriate uh, here. I think I've often been guilty of the clever piece I, I can recall very early in my my entrepreneurial journey, I made some proposal to a uh, really an ideal client, actually in real estate. And uh, they came back and said, well, the answer is no for all sorts of these reasons, but boy, your proposal was complicated. And I was like, right, hey, I thought I was a genius. No, no. Value-based pricing, blah, blah, blah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. It's pretty
0: easy to outsmart yourself and then do your customer in turn and I believe very strongly in what you said there. It's uh, everything we do in our business, we ruthlessly seek out simplicity and that will be in like an internal operational matter or back in IT system, certainly in our software experience. You just keep going back to the how do I make this bulletproof easy and
1: let's see. You must get plenty of questions or I think our listeners are certainly curious about how have you been able to raise so much capital from, you know, really top shelf Investors, I think many listeners will recall your announcement from was it maybe it was the Q2 last year, plus or minus, you're all Series D of, call it $93 million or so. Yeah. Maybe just talk about, I don't know, some some flavor of that, the the, the how, uh, perhaps the challenges even uh, to raising the kind of capital that you all have raised across at least four rounds.
0: There's roughly 175 million in equity into measurable Chris over our lifespan, and I'm going to have to say roughly because I just don't recall this stage. Uh-huh. Um, we additionally have debt facilities now that are tens of millions of new or additional capital access. So it's it's definitely not what we started with, which was you know 10 grand more or less out of. Uh, bonus I got when I departed CBRE, and what changed between those two points? Well, yeah, you know, one I think measurable was a viable business, and we proved through good unit economics and customer references and all the typical stuff that it's a sort of business that could could deliver a really fantastic return for folks who participated in it. Certainly, some have had nothing to do with us whatsoever. Right, the market in 2013 when this company began did not recognize the term ESG in real estate. That that wasn't a thing. Um, you know this full well. We talked a lot about green. Um, that was where we were at. It was, in my opinion, a color. It was not founded in uh, any financial jargon and it needed to change. We need to get objective and get real on the material impacts of sustainability in real estate. And that's actually where we are today, uh, at least substantially so. We've made huge progress and that progress is reflective in the types in quality and depth of the investor pool. So in the earliest days, our seed money came from a wonderful but admittedly very adventurous group called Crosscut, um, which is a great VC out of LA, but they were known for investing in retail and you know generic SaaS and marketing SaaS. They'd never done anything in prop tech or sustainability. Today, there's entire venture funds built around sustainability in the built environment, Energy Impact Partners being one notable one. So I mean, think about the difference of where measurable could even go to raise capital. Um, so I think you know it takes two to tango. You have to have changes in the market's maturity, and you you have to just prove it. Right? There's no shortcut in the business to proving it.
1: Well, I like that you said. Look, partly it's it's all's solution to a problem, and partly it's outside of what your company could do. Right? It's it's the change in the market. Would you describe most of your investors as financial or strategic? And if the latter, have they been able to kind of pull you into the square footage perhaps owned or managed, let's say, by their, by their investors?
0: Sure. So we, interestingly, we are a very healthy blend of both. We actually have strategic investors like S&P Global. Some would look at Salesforce a little bit like that um, constellation technology ventures, you know, other funds like an RET, um, who are affiliated with, I mean, major institutional LPs in real estate, uh, Suffolk tech and so on. So these are more of the strategic flavor. And then certainly we have energy impact partners and Sway ventures and Canberra Creek because a pure financial player in prop tech. So it's a, it's a really healthy blend. That was a very conscious decision by us to have Financial investors. So our board at Measurable includes exactly zero strategic investors by design. There's no such thing as a customer sitting there with their finger on the product roadmap at the board level. Does not exist at Measurable. And it is purely financial investors who are looking out for the shareholder and looking at the market. The strategic, and I like that because it keeps us disciplined, keeps us honest, keeps us real, keeps us unbiased. The... uh. Strategic role play there is yes, we want to do business with you. And commonly, let's use Divco West, a great ownership based out of San Francisco. But we were, you know, they were customers before they ever invested. And that's happened several times, right? Where the the customer turns around and says, Hey, we're really enjoying this. We think this has got legs. We think we could be helpful to you. We know a lot of people in the industry. May we participate? Uh, so that's also occurred. So it hasn't been the case for Measurable where they invest first and do business later. I think there's a couple instances at this stage that that thesis is there, but by and large, we we developed the relationship through the actual customer experience first.
1: Tell us about the hardest part or hardest parts, maybe, of growing Measurable into what it is today. This is what you know, eleven eleven years in, plus or minus. Is that right? This is the start of our
0: 11th year. Yeah. Yep. And this is the point where you, you tell me it shows, right? But the <laughs> listeners, I they think they're listeners, they can't see. So, any CEO of any company who's done anything for any period of time has to say the same thing here, making tough decisions on personal and how to change and evolve the business. It just has to be. There were other major challenges, which are things like, is this going to, like those existential ones around, is there really any there there? There were multiple years in the wilderness where there was a very small set of converted buyers of our product. In other words, people who believed that what we were selling even mattered. A lot of people actively dismissed it, not just were agnostic or disinterested, but actively dismissive. That's painful, right? Because you're sitting there going, "Is, is, is there any meat on this bone? You know, I I took money from my mom, my dad, my brother, some of my best friends. You don't want to turn around to those people and say we blew it. So the, that when you're staring at challenges in our early years, we grew very modestly because the market just wasn't where it is today. And there were many moments where I thought it wouldn't work. But yeah, you know, it also makes you much more resilient and. Now the types of challenges that we experience, I reflect on those early days, and I think we have it pretty easy by comparison.
1: It's interesting, you, you mentioned taking capital from those close to you can be really almost an extra motivator, right?
0: Yeah, you don't wanna fail. You don't wanna let your, mm. you know, your mom down. A lot of what motivated me was, you know, I, I thought of it this way too, Chris. Honestly, I thought, okay, so I've quit my job. And I need to prove that I did that for some something, sold the car, worked out of the house and bedroom sort of thing. I, I did those things, and you you kind of don't want to pull up a push up a tulip like in month three on that. you You need to show some durability. and so I remember thinking, well, if I can at least get some outside investors, right, so like an institutional investor VC, like that'll mean equals success. And if I fail after that, business doesn't go anywhere like, well, at least I can point that and say. It wasn't completely for nothing. And then we did that, and I thought, OK, well, if we, you know, if we could just get to the point where we passed a million in revenue, like me, you know and I kept inventing these new milestones and say, well, that would be a measure of success. And sadly, for, for better for worse for me, at least, the goalpost has moved, right? Now it's like I'm not content until we are synonymous with the sustainable transformation of real estate. And I mentioned it to you before, I actively think every day, will it be set out in the market by some investor? Is your building measurable? Yes or no. Is your fund measurable? Yes or no. I really want to see that. I want to see our brand and our company have uh, supported this transformation. And so now we got to do that. <laughs> um, so it's still a road to hoe, but so far so good.
1: Well, we we can all relate to goalposts moving for sure. And just to be clear, what I just heard there, w- one goal was, you know, can I get can I get institutional, professionally managed money to invest in me? And now it is, I think I heard, can measurable become a verb like like Google, right? Just just Google it, right? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? To me, it doesn't I mean? It does it's the issue right? The issue in
0: sustainability and quote green, and this is my shameless plug. I wrote a book on this, and the book says. It, and we're, it, it tries to articulate the transformation from green to ESG. That's the, the cover title of the book. And what I'm getting that is this thing that we all care deeply about, our planet, our environment, our society is negatively and adversely impacted by business decisions we're making to pollute, to consume in certain ways, but we can't measure it. We couldn't internalize those costs. And if we could, we could change the world. right? So I, I really think that that is the right way to think. Can you measure it? The answer is absolutely. And real assets, absolutely. And we're the place to go for that. Well, what happens if you measure it? We all know, you manage it. You manage it, we can have better outcomes.
1: And I will put a link in the show notes, but give us the full name of the book.
0: Uh, it's From Green to EHG. And let me see if I get this part right. How data-driven transparency changed real estate for good. There we go. On that. There we like go. Double entendre at the end.
1: <laughs> for sure. For sure. I got. I got it all in the show notes already. Okay. Cool. Well, you, you've already gone towards my my next question, which is what's what's the pick a number? What's the five year vision, Matt?
0: Well, shoot. I mean, on which lane do we want to go at that? So we could talk about that with respect to product evolution. We could talk about that with respect to sort of the macro market evolution. We could talk about that very transactionally like with respect to what the competitive landscape looks like. So I think they're all fair game. And since I laid them out there, I'll say in in terms of what does the market look like, I think that is entirely clear and obvious. So this one is like, if you had me get the crystal ball and see what's the market look like in five years, Um, with respect to like sustainability and real assets, I'd say a deeply penetrated and activated one. And the thing I point to there is regulation. So right now, already you have the European Union, you have a big piece of North America by way of municipal and state regulation and provincial regulation um, and looming federal regulation being regulated around energy and carbon, which is not, I know, the whole pie. But it's a critically important foundational piece. That's a sea change, but this is actually happening in Japan. It's happening in Hong Kong. It's happening in Vietnam. It's happening in India. It's happening in Australia. And actually I should change the past tense. It's happened. So the regulated reality and all the implications of that are significant, like your cost of capital is going to change, right? You're you're going to have lawsuits, CEOs will lose their job because they failed to disclose that accurately on certain things. Um, and this is in fact, also already occurred at uh, DWS around their greenwashing scandal. So the regulated future of real estate is, and, and the, the depth and breadth of that is obvious. And I think that's something that will you know, systematically change the real estate fundamentals and how we value assets. With respect to the competitive landscape, you will have consolidation. We've begun that. We were an early mover in acquiring businesses of adjacent value and bringing those together in an integrated experience. Our competitors are now replicating that playbook. So what happens next? More of that. It'll just get bigger. It'll be faster and it'll sort of snowball. So I fully expect that when we pick our heads up in two years, you're going to see a smaller set of much more sophisticated and globalized businesses solving Or attempting to solve this issue. And with respect to like features and functionality and product evolution, the last part, like kind of, you know, tease the lead there, which is we talk in our business, Chris, about meter to market. And it's very different, actually, than a lot of our our cohort talks about. Typically, this conversation in real estate is around energy and carbon. And I think they're right about that. I just think they're grossly wrong on the full scope of that and for whom. In other words, it's about energy and carbon for those who own buildings. No, it's not. It's about energy, carbon, and climate risk. It's about CapEx and decarb. It's about the, the transformation, the assets, about the policies, the procedures, the governments, the health and being It's about all that. And it's about all of that differently for everyone that owns that building, lends to that building. The LP and the fund in which that building sits, the bond holder who's invested in the so-called green bond, you get it. Like that whole value chain. And so the product answer to that at measurable is to deliver a meter to market experience. That's why when we tar- started the call, we we're talking about software and data, because you deliver the value differently to those different personas and stakeholders. That actually has to be a company. I don't think it's tenable to have a niche data collection tool for owners that then doesn't solve for the compliance issues at the portfolio level, that then doesn't solve for how that portfolio entity accesses capital. I may be wrong on that, but we're going to give it our go and saying we're right, and that that has to be an integrated product experience, which is what we're working on.
1: All right. That's, that's aspiring, and I can't wait for measurable to become a verb. But first, there's a brief message from our sponsors. Just kidding. We still don't take any sponsors. (laughs) But did you know that 100,000 plus CEOs belong to CEO peer groups? And if that makes you feel a little FOMO, and if you're a CEO or founder, then you're in luck. I have the privilege of leading North America's top peer group community for growth stage CEOs, founders, and investors in climate tech, clean energy, and sustainability. Today's members are creating billions of dollars of market value and millions of tons of greenhouse gas reductions. With our monthly group meetings, annual retreats, and one-on-one executive coaching calls, our members help each other, most importantly, help each other boost revenue, impact, capital raised, clarity, confidence, work-life balance, and team effectiveness. If this sounds interesting, please go to entrepreneursforimpact.com and join the waiting list today. Let's switch as we do to the personal portion of the podcast. So Matt, give us a uh, Two or three pieces of advice for, you know, pick your category, emerging professionals or maybe even career switchers into these sectors. Sure. So, self, I'll just tell my personal story
0: on this self advocacy, I guess. So, I started my career in brokerage, I did tenant rep. And so, leasing and real estate transactions, I had a personal interest in sustainability. And so the first thing I did around that in my professional life was to ask my managing director, a guy named Mark Reed, a great guy, to pay for my lead accreditation. And he did. And I said, hey, it'll make me a better broker. It'll distinguish me, help me make more money for the business. And then one of the next things that I did was I said, we actually have to develop business practices around this. And so I advocated for the creation of a sustainability practice group. And that actually went to a woman in Houston Elka Laughlin, a great woman. And she said, let's do this. And we developed this sustainably practice group. And then the next thing I did was I said, we actually need to develop business solutions. And so I wrote a new title on paper and I gave it to Mark and a guy named Steve Swardlow ultimately, and got is a role as vice president of carbon, by far the coolest title in real estate. I still say that all the time. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool. And this was an attempt to build new businesses, but you get the drift, right? The idea was each time... You have to call out what you want and believe in and justify it and advocate for yourself to do it. If the opposing position is, I will do my work and I will be noticed and people will you know, fulfill my thing. It's just, maybe, maybe that can happen. I'm sure in fact it does, but I'm a big believer in self-advocacy. If you want to go get it, um, say it out loudly and don't be embarrassed uh, for doing so.
1: That- Resonates a lot. It, it also reminds me of a common phrase from the you know thirty or so climate tech CEOs I work with in this peer group community, which is agency. Right? They want to hire folks, uh, encourage folks to have more agency inside of the firm. Right? Not not coming with problems to the CEO, but coming with you yeah, look a problem, three solutions. Here's the one I recommend, and why. Right? Solutions orientation, not problem orientation. Yeah, that's massively, massively true, totally. Give us a couple of habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane, and focused over these last, you know, 10 years, Matt.
0: When I was in college, you know, finals, how intense that is, finals week, and everybody freaks out. And so we had, I played larpool for all my youth, all the way through college, and you know, here comes finals week, and... We went to coach and we said, you know, coach, geez, there's a practice and we need to cancel it. Everyone needs to be studying. And coach said, quite the opposite. This is the two hours you need to give to yourself in the pool, clear your head. There's no way that sitting in the library and with your face in a book for eight hours straight is going to be nearly as productive as like a couple more focused hours. Um, so I, it's always, first of all, absolutely right. And I struggle with that to Force myself to go and get to the gym, cross country, you know, ski, and all the rest. But it's absolutely essential, and it's like common denominator that I've noticed in people that are fairly successful is they have some self-awareness about their physical health. Because it's pretty easy, right? You open your laptop, you grab your phone. I got my phone by my side when I sleep. You know what happens? You roll out of bed, you look at that thing, and and next thing you know. Um, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're, you're staring at your laptop and not taking care of yourself.
1: It what and saying it differently, I think is, if you think you don't have time to take care of your physical, uh, uh, health, that's exactly the reason you do need to do it. You do need to do it perhaps, right? Is you're neglecting. that as a prioritization. It, it reminds me, there's a, a Buddhist, you know, story of sorts. And, uh, this monk just tried to teach some, you know, busy professional to meditate. Is like, look, you just need to sit and do these things for 30 minutes a day. And the guy's like, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. Is to go. I understand. Well, then you need to do it for 60 minutes a day. <laughs> like, Wait a second. That's not the direction you're supposed to go. All right. Let us go to the 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 last kind of recommendation piece here. Give us some uh, books or podcasts, quotes, tools, etc. It may uh, motivate or empower our listeners here.
0: Okay. I'll so after shamelessly referring back to the book that I wrote, which is I have to do, I actually I would prefer to say, um, people here, like I I'm sure podcasts are a great outlet, and I'm sure there's the right books out there. But the most valuable thing that I've done in my career is ask experienced professionals, what they think and what I should do, whatever. And it's astonishing what happens. If you go to, and you don't have to know them, they don't have to know you. It is astonishing what happens if you ask and you do it humbly and politely, maybe sometimes even lightly, slightly persistently, you will get remarkable people who will give you 10 or 30 minutes and give you a point of view. Um, so I really encourage people to like go to the knowledge that's all around them, um, in their elder statesmen, in their peer group, it doesn't always have to be up. It can be down sometimes, AC see stuff too. Um, but just go there and bother to ask the question and be inquisitive. So a different version of what you're asking for, but I I just think that that piece can get missed sometimes. It's like, what about all these people to my left and to my right? I'm sure they have something to say too.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a humility in that which, which more of us could, I think, develop. That, that the way you phrased it was not just asking for advice from those kind of, quote unquote, above you, but but to the side or even, quote unquote, you know below you up and coming as well. You mentioned persistence, I don't know, maybe it was 15 years ago or maybe longer. I developed a relationship with uh, Amory Lovins over at, at RMI, and uh, at, at one point I said, hey, would you consider being a mentor? And uh, he said, yeah. I said, well, I was thinking about, you know, whatever I said, you know, some sort of monthly check-in or something. And uh, he laughed and he said, that's more time than I give my direct reports. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I should reassess my expectations of what mentorship means. Anyway, within yeah. bounds, within bounds. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I, uh, I asked
0: Ray Werda, who was uh, at the time the chairman of the board at CBRE, and was prior to that the CEO of CBRE, um, you know, one of the luminaries in real estate, right? And and the boss of the boss of the biggest real estate services company on the planet. I asked, would you join the board? And he said, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's amazing that nice. happened. to ask. now, you have to do the other side of that, which is to listen. So you know, it's it's an exchange, right? You shut up. Yeah. Speak. Um, but you know, the invitation starts again, self-agency starts with you.
1: Well, I and mean, you know, as it said, we're given two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? L- listen more than we we usually do. Let's let's finish here with uh, whatever you whatever you got left for listeners, you know, a request, announcements, advice, you know, who you want to hear from. A challenge perhaps, what's, uh, what's the final word here? Mm, concurred to this podcast, I think people
0: should check out the call I'm doing with Chris Pike of currently Grez, chief innovation officer there. and That's going to be on the debate against plaques versus performance is how we're framing it. So it's really addressing this, I think burning question in the industry around, is this all worth it? Do these labels matter and are they associated with the actual outcomes? So check that out. That's January 29th, so just a few days from now. And then, in the longer term, I think, uh, I encourage people to remain positive about what's possible in our industry. I think that real estate industry gets 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 its knocks for being like rapacious landlords and, you know, unfeeling. Um, and it's just not the case. There's so many innovative companies in our space. People don't associate that with real estate. They should. They should especially associate with respect to what the sustainability innovation is doing. Uh, or is going on and um that to me is exciting I, I really see it the difference that we spoke about from 10 years ago to today and then what we'll get in the next two couple years uh is exciting and our our, our industry is changing for the better and I want people to remember that well so but join in it and join in helping make that transition faster and better
1: for sure i mean and just I feel like we we have to keep Clarifying the same misperception, you know, sustainability, green, ESG, whatever in real estate is not some, you know, uh, leftist, woke, like, hub trees uh, strategy. It's be a better fiduciary. It's manage costs. It's capture more market. It's retain tenants and so forth. You wouldn't have, I and mean, measurable would not have close to $200 million of outside capital unless I believe there was a huge profitable opportunity in what you were doing.
0: That's right. Yeah, there's there's only so far you can go on platitudes. And I think we've certainly passed that tipping point where this is clearly a viable space to operate in with real value being received by real capitalists and, and owner operators and investors, and just as it should be, onwards and upwards.
1: What? It makes me very happy to have, have watched your all's growth from almost the very beginning uh, and excited to, get excited to have measurable become a verb. Good stuff, Matt.
0: Right on, Chris, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. And if you want more intel on climate tech, better habits and deep work, then join the thousands of others who subscribe to our Substack newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com or drop me a note on LinkedIn. All right, that's all, y'all. Take care.